This is TK331, a Star Wars EU slash Legends podcast. I'm Crystal, a Star Wars enthusiast, but I've never read a thing I liked that I couldn't complain about a little bit. And I'm Thomas, a Star Wars completionist who has previously read the entirety of the EU. What are we talking about today? Today we are returning back to Tales from Jabba's Palace and reading A Time to Mourn, A Time to Dance, Ula's Tale, written by Kathy Tyres, edited by Kevin J. Anderson, and published by Phantom Spectra in January 96. Kathy Tyres has written several short stories for Star Wars, and this is the second one that we have discussed for this podcast. The other short story being We Don't Do Weddings, The Band's Tale, the first episode we did about Tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina. She also wrote two novels, The Truce of Bakura, our very first episode, and Balance Point in the New Jedi Order series. A Time to Mourn, A Time to Dance tells the story of Ula, the Twi'lek dancer we see Jabba drop into the Rancor Pit in Return of the Jedi. She and another have been brought to Tatooine to be dancers at Jabba's palace, but they run into a certain Jedi who tries to save them. Ula would stay as far away from Jabba as she could. She tested every chain for a weak link, but found none. She'd refused to dance closer to Jabba that morning and was beaten for it. Bib Fortuna told her to learn quickly. She'd cost him two fortunes. She's to admire Bib Fortuna, but now Ula despises him. So we're kind of jumping in, like, right... She's been here for a while. She's been here for a little while. A prisoner is brought to Jabba, and they are forced to fight a crustacean-type creature. With Jabba distracted, Ula slips behind him and finds two others, Yarna, an Askajian dancer, and a gold 3PO unit. I wonder who that is. Yarna had apparently comforted her after that morning's beating. C-3PO speaks to her in Twilight, keep surprising Ula. He apologizes for his condition. He says if he is doomed, he'd rather face the scrap pile in better condition. And she tells him not to be a coward, which, I'm sorry, Ula, but that's kind of programmed into 3PO to be a coward, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but in this case, I, it's, I think, very understandable. 3PO says the Jabba has threatened to wipe his memory, and she says nothing is final, not even death. It frees your spirit from the confines of gravity to dance. Interesting way of looking at that. What? <laughs> 3PO says that he's not sure if he'd retain even his basic primary functions. And then with her leku, or her headtails, she signs... Whatever that means. 3PO says it would mean doom, which surprises her that 3PO could read what she said. So they don't just communicate via spoken word. They're like who are very, they're a part of their language. Um, and she expects no one else to get that. But 3PO is, he can be impressive at times. And this is one of those times, I think. Or at least surprising. It is surprising. <laughs> it seems almost too subtle for 3PO. He then offers condolences for her unhappy position. She thanks him and asks what's going on. He says that a Jawa is being punished for plotting against Jabba. Not a smart Jawa. No. <laughs> she asks 3PO about the picture the other droid projected. Lula says that she'd seen him before, which surprises 3PO. So they're just surprising each other th today. <laughs> so many surprises behind Jabba's vast bulk. And then we learn a little about her past, and she says that she lived on Ryloth in the Underground Warrens. Her father was the clan chief of 800 Twi'leks, and she was known back then as an amazing dancer. About four months ago, Bib Fortuna coaxed her above ground and abducted her and another Twi'lek named Sien. They were brought to a training facility, and there Ulu couldn't escape, but she loved to dance so much and rose to the challenge of what was put in front of her. Jairus Rudd was the first human she ever met, and he was scum. He's a pilot and takes both Ula and Sien to Tatooine. When they land, there are stormtroopers waiting for them, and they delay them by an hour before they are finally let go. It's clear to Rudd that they were looking for someone and not something, but he doesn't really care who. They get to Jabba's townhouse, 
but Rudd sees visitors outside of it, and they're the kind of visitors he doesn't want to show the girls to. So he has them hide, and then he leaves. He's like, hide here until I return. So weird. While hiding, Ula dreams of dancing with Jabba and the life of luxury that she is sure she will be leading shortly. Bib Fortuna has told her how fabulous everything will be. She then sees a shadow move and realizes that it's a black-robed person. It approaches them and says, I feel your fear. Come with me. Ula only knows some basic and isn't sure of all that's being said. The last words she understands are safe place, but Ula says no. She asks who he is, and unsurprisingly, he says, I am Luke. I don't know. I was kind of surprised. Yeah? What's the, the man in the cloak? I was like, that has to be Luke. Yeah. I got that, but I was also like, why are you here? <laughs> to rescue Han? Yeah, but... He's supposed to be making a lightsaber in a hut in the middle of the desert. He's not supposed to be wandering about town looking for damsels in distress. The force called him here. Oh, my God. She tells Luke to go away and leave them alone. He asks her name and she replies, nothing, daughter of nobody. And Luke, realizing that something is very wrong here, says he'll hide them and get them to the Rebel Alliance. They don't buy or sell anyone. So Cien goes to him. Ula says they've been chosen to dance at Jabba's palace, and Luke says Jabba's palace isn't what they think. Luke has almost convinced her when Rudd returns with Bib Fortuna. He says they're Jabba's property, and Luke says he doesn't care much for Jabba. Rudd fires a blaster at him, but Luke deflects it. So he has already made his lightsaber. So he's just, what, passing through town on the way to Jabba's palace? Maybe. Is town on the way to Jabba's palace? From Ben's hut? Maybe. <laughs> Bib Fortuna is about to stun Sien, but Ula tells her to run and tackles Bib. Go Ula. And Sien runs and gets away, and Ula tells Luke to go after her, knowing that Sien is even more helpless than she would be in the situation. Luke follows Sien, and Bib takes Ula away. 3PO has been translating this story for Yarna as Ula tells it. Ula is glad that Sien escaped. She says she just wants to do one perfect dance. 3PO says that Luke is coming here to rescue them. Jabba pulls Ula forward to dance, and Yarna soon joins her, and Ula dances perfectly. Jabba then pulls her towards him, and she's more angry than frightened, and pulls back on the chain, thinking that all she'll get is another beating. She won't dance closer and doesn't care if she'll be beaten again, and Jabba just, as we see in the movie, is drooling at this point because he's a sick, sick hut. And he eats people. And she's, of course, at the trapdoor's edge and says, nah, nah, nah tuta, as she falls through. Ending the story. What does that mean? I assume, no, don't drop me. Something <laughs> like that. It's... No, don't throw me to the monster. <laughs> Three people could tell us. Well, I've never willingly sought an audience with 3PO. <laughs> so. You're lost. I guess I'm in the dark forever. So, what did you think about this? It was okay. I had a really hard time connecting with Ula, so that made the story kind of difficult for me. I know that often with these short stories, my stance is there was too much backstory here and we needed to cut much of it. My stance here with this story was much more like there was not quite enough backstory here. I needed a little bit more <laughs> because I understand that she came from this very small village. She's basically kidnapped into slavery and taken to a place to hone her skills so that she will be valuable to Jabba. I understand all of that. I find her her inner conflict of 
she doesn't want to be a slave, but she wants to live a life of luxury. That that conflict between between those two ideas to be very jarring. I think like she's very naive because of her upbringing. I just didn't get because there wasn't a ton about that. I didn't like. I sincerely think you kind of blink and you miss it. The part about her coming from a small village. Yeah. It could almost be interpreted as Bib Fortuna discovered her. In fact, that's what she thought happened. So it, it just was kind of easy to miss. And I wanted a little bit more introspection on her part. Like a little bit now that she's been, you know, subjected to this training experience and been out in the galaxy for a little bit longer and seen the way that people treat her and CN, I wanted her to be like questioning that naivety a little bit more. So I just found her kind of difficult to connect with. What about you? What'd you think of it? So this is a rather depressing story, but given how the movie goes, we all know how it has to ultimately end with her death or leading up to her death, depending exactly on whether the author chooses to end this. So we know at the start, this is not going to be a happy swashbuckling tale. Like some of these can be right. Mm -hmm. So one thing I really appreciate about the story is that is the creation of Sien and the fact that she does escape. Without that or something like, similar to it, I think this story about Ulu would be simply harder for me to read because it's just, it'd be so depressing because we know the outcome. We know she's going to die. But Sien adds a bit of hope, which is so often found in Star Wars. So yeah. I really like the aspect of it. I think the other way she tried to pull hope in was just this fixation on like, completing the perfect dance or performing the perfect dance and her feeling at the end like she had done so. Yeah, I agree. The other thing I like about this is that 3PR talks to Ula in her native language. Before he does, she's trying to figure out how to talk to him and he just talks in a way that she perfectly understands. Small moments of kindness in a place like Jabba's Palace can just mean a lot to whoever is involved. And I know we like to rag on 3PR a lot, but I thought this was a really sweet moment from him. Though, of course, it's not with any particular intent on his part. No, but He still. just knows how to communicate, so he does. <laughs> and the communication in a place like this for someone who is so alone, that means something. Yeah. I liked the detail about how Twileki is spoken and signed. Like, the detail of body language. I'm not sure who... I don't think that originates in this story, but it's something that's been a part of Star Wars for as long as I could remember. But it's... It wasn't in Jedi, at least, obviously. So someone saw her dancing. Like, oh, those head tells would be perfect to to communicate with. And, Say something. And I like that. Yeah, I agree. I didn't like or understand Luke's appearance in this story. <laughs> I think that was just uh, if Sienna went off on her own, she's going to be just someone else will grab her off the street. Well, it just it could have been somebody else who helped her. Like, I almost would have preferred if it was, like, Lando. <laughs> or Leia before she took Chewie in. Yeah. Because we don't know exactly where that falls. Like, Leia was not clearly there. Chewie was not clearly there. So this could have happened before Leia got to the palace. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I would, I agree. I think I would have liked it to be Leia over Luke. Like, I like that Luke realizes something is wrong and that there is slavery going on. But I feel like it would potentially more powerful coming from from another woman realizing it yeah i just felt i don't know luke felt so misplaced in this story to me he felt a little bit too much like his like episode four self basically like getting distracted by just random stuff going on around him 
I feel like in episode six, he's pretty focused. He is, but I feel like if he saw he could free a slave, he would do so. I just don't, like, I don't believe the circumstances that led him to be on that street, basically. You can say, like, the force is the plot a lot, and I will accept it, like, sometimes. I need more than that, usually. (laughs) And that's subjective. Much as I hate to even put that caveat there, it is subjective. (laughs) So that wraps up our discussion on A Time to Mourn, A Time to Dance, Ula's Tale. Now let's check the hollow nut for messages. So there are a couple of tweets we want to talk about today. The first comes from Josie at Josie Kramer 25, responding actually to our previous short story episode, where we were talking about Jabba eating people. I had completely forgotten this fact, and you've obviously never read this, but uh, Josie sent us a comic panel. I was innocent and naive. And it's from a Jabba one shot in the 90s where he it is literally show, shows him eating someone whole hog, just a, a person. Yeah, a human. A and human being. Just in one go. His tongue kind of comes that out. tongue. Wraps oh. around her and he chows down. So I, I had actually forgotten this comic exists entirely. Um, my goal is not to get the crystal to read this someday. Like, and she's still wearing like boots. Yeah. Fully she's being clothes. consumed while wearing boots and clothes. Gross. Yeah, it's nasty. Disgusting. The other tweet to bring up uh, is from our friend Aaron Motes, who actually, we should say, uh, we actually, he invited us on, and we recently were a guest on his Legends Lounge podcast. Uh, we participated in his Q&A, so if you want to check that out, um, you can check out the Legends Lounge to uh, find that, to find our thoughts on some Star Wars questions. He said something, and I had completely forgotten about this. So in The Crystal Star, Hefrir is clearly not human. He's he, a Ferrareo. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> I always hesitate when I say that it's word. Two yards. <laughs> I can picture it perfectly but in my head. I know how it's He spelled. is very clearly not human. He's near human, but he's not human. Just a few years after this book comes out, um, in the young adult book, uh, Young Giantite's Delusions of Grandeur, they say, <laughs> certainly, Hethra had been human, is the sentence. Jaina thinks it, apparently. Maybe Jaina is just misremembering because she was so young back then. But oh, don't make excuses yeah, for no. this author. <laughs> you know that's not the reason. <laughs> <laughs> so, just interesting uh, continuity error uh, that we will, we may talk more about in the, when we get to these books in the future. This led us talking about this the other night to talk about how, like, I can be more forgiving of continuity errors that where the content of a Legends book does not match up with the prequels. Cough, Black Fleet Crisis? Yeah. But I need the Legends books to be continuous with each other. <laughs> That's still asking for too much. Like, that, just at a baseline. Don't don't outright contradict what has been in another Legends book. <laughs> this will not be the last time this happens. I'm sure it won't be. I'm, also, I don't think it's actually the first time either. No, I'm sure it hasn't been. I just try to, like... I mean, I don't try. They just... Eventually, they fly out of my mind unless they were particularly egregious. I just don't hang on to that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, thank you to Aaron for pointing that out to us. I had completely forgotten this fact. We're going to read those eventually, right? Oh, yes, they're on the list in the next uh, year or two. Okay. I'm sure we'll laugh all over again. And finally, we have an email from Jan talking about our episode about Planet of Twilight. Jan, first off, saying, hope you're having a great springtime, and then asks, wait, is there spring in California? And to be honest... Well, the area that we live in, there is. Sometimes. There is. This year, it's still kind of winter. It's only just now <laughs> becoming spring. 
winter, meaning it gets down to, you know, like 40 degrees Fahrenheit overnight, which is cold for us. Well, just meaning that the rain never really stopped. It's it's stopped now. It rained three days ago. It's mostly stopped. (laughs) I'm hopeful, okay? It's supposed to get up to 70 degrees Fahrenheit today, so. Yeah, so most years we give us ring this year, it, it remains to be seen is what I'll say. Okay, whatever. You think we're just going to jump right into summer? The Maybe. season the season of suffering. <laughs> and Jan says that he was inspired, in quotation marks, by our announcement. So he read, I'm going to butcher this, Planet des Zwillix, the German title for Planet of Twilight. <laughs> you, sound, sh- you sound French. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I said it so badly. I'm so sorry. Planet of Twilight in German. Um, and apparently he read it in three long evenings, which, impressive. Well done. He thinks it's the second time he's read this particular EU book and that the prose wasn't that bad in his humble opinion, but he read the German translation, so maybe the translator was just really good. Very possible. I mean, honestly, if you just break up the paragraphs a little more, I feel like it'd just be an easier read. Yeah, but I mean, I think also like, you know, different people have different sensibilities about this stuff, right? It's kind of subjective. But he does agree with all of our points and opinions about the book. It's really not good. And the bug thing is really creepy and disgusting. (laughs) Yeah. So Johan says he didn't find that many funny or remarkable translation errors. But there are a couple he brought up. Uh, In the first chapter, when the soon-to-be-dead officer is thinking about the collapsed ensign, she thinks about how he's a good kid not using a kind of drugs. Apparently in German, the drugs are alcohol, with a K, Gewurz und... Kirchhoff, meaning alcohol, spice, or giggle dust. <laughs> and Yanta's giggle dust sounds really playful and nice, especially since chickpeas are... Kirchhoffsen? Kirchhoffsen in German. Giggle peas, not sure why. Luke also tells Leia to turn to Tion or Kip for training, since they, quote, are the strongest in the Force. Jan says, I thought Tion is a relatively weak Force user and more an intellectual or scholar, but who am I to contradict Hambly? This feels like a translation error. In terms of saying that she is strong in the force, because she's not. No offense to Tion, but uh, he, you're exactly right, Jan. She's much more of a scholar and a student of the force. And that's why she would be a great person for Leia to talk to, because she is so knowledgeable. But in terms of just raw power, that feels like something that was lost in translation. Yeah. The resort Han and the kids are staying at was once the home of, quote, Palpatine's concubines, a much creepier image than any drotch things. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> At one point, 3PO is contemplating cooking humans for survival. And Jan thinks that Hambly really had some stuff while writing this book. And I don't remember that phrase from... I don't either, but I mean... I mean, there were definitely things we missed. Yeah. That also could be another weird translation thing. I'm not quite sure. Cooking humans for survival. He's also reminded of the mushroom goo Han and the soldiers had to avoid slash run through to get to the Falcon on the weird planet where they brought the survivors of the crash. The poor survivors from the fire into the frying pan. Just a lot of creepiness and disgusting ideas everywhere. Totally agree. (laughs) At one point, has Leia and Han made love on the rug in the resort? Strangely uh, graphic. And Jan thinks this is the first time that he's reading about them being intimate. They have three kids, so of course they've had sex. But to 12-year-old him, didn't really interpret the scenes like 40, his 42-year-old self did a week ago. <laughs> True. <laughs> it is really funny to read, read something you as a child and read say like, oh, I missed this. Yeah. <laughs> and movies, games, any kind of media you consumed as a child. 
Leia, the heir of Alderaan, can't afford synth droid for 100,000 credits. Come on, shouldn't she be loaded? Another gross mission to protect Hamley. It's never been actually clear to me how much or how wealthy Leia is in the EU, I feel Or like. even what a credit is. <laughs> you know, like, it, as it relates to, like, our understanding of money. I feel like she could probably afford one, but I don't think it could be, like, just a weekend shopping spree for her. A casual purchase. Yeah. I also don't know how much the Chief of State slash President Senate gets paid. Yeah, I do wonder if a lot of her funds are like, like maybe she has access to a lot of money because of her position, but she's not easily able to just flippantly like. Yeah. Also, how much wealth was tied up on Alderaan itself, which was then all lost? Like, did they have a lot of things electronically? You gotta assume that they had some stuff in banks. I mean. But did she know where it is or how to get to it? Like, was she the keeper of that information? Like, she, whoever knew that might all be dead. I mean, she was an adult. Sure. She should have had some level of access. Okay. But I do wonder how much of her, like, quote-unquote war chest from that time she maybe disseminated to survivors, like other Alderanian survivors. Or did the Empire freeze her accounts type thing? I mean, at this point, the Empire's gone. Well, so. I, I meant post, uh, back during the New Hope era. Mm. Like, once Alderaan was destroyed, take what money is left from the family. You gotta think that they would have had a contingency plan for what happens. Just, you know, if if Bale and Brea die, you know? Yeah. Or, like, that they would have had some money that was out of Imperial hands. Yon goes on, the vegetables the people are planting are called Turkafeln, in the German translation. And this is just a letter switch twist from... Kartoffel? Kartoffel, meaning potato. And he, Jan would really have to know what, what's the English word Hambly is using. And we've both read through this, and Hamley doesn't actually, as far as we can tell, mention a specific vegetable. Yeah, they, she talks more about farm animals. So, like, fences have been smashed to the ground, and koopas, blurs, and grazers have scattered throughout the standing crops. So no specific... Yeah, so it sounds like the translation added that detail in. And alcopays. The blurs had mixed in with the old-timers' alcopays, which had also escaped in the confusion and which carried parasites inimical to the more fragile blurs. <laughs> so just more animal-based than plant-based. Yeah. 3PO is singing in the bar called Wiki Hosenlots, and Hosenlots is a colloquial word for Hosenschlitz, the literal translation being trouser slit. So Jan is asking us what the English name of the bar is because surely it's not Wookie Buttonfly. So in the English version, the bar is called the Chug and Chuck, which that sounds more like a bar name. Chug some beer, chuck it later. Yep. Also, at the beginning of this scene, 3PO is telling the reader that he normally isn't using his musical function since there are automatons. Translation is like half-living beings with bigger speaker functions. Jan believes he is talking about androids like Lando's aide Lobot in Cloud City, but would love to know what the original word is. And here, I think you're right, Jan, because the text in the English version is, it was not a function he, 3PO, filled particularly often, for there were automatons and semi-animates with larger speaker units and better bass range who could do the job more efficiently. But he could do it. (laughs) So, I think Lobot's more than automaton, but... That's true. He's more like a cyborg, I guess. Yeah. But it sounds like these are... But semi-animates... That could be Lobot. interesting. Like, yeah. semi-animated. Well, not, not quite Lobot, but that might be closer to him. Might be more of a, like, halfway point between... The two? Yeah. Kind of like the synth droids, maybe? Maybe. 
And Jan finishes with, so that's all the notes I, that he took while um, reading Plan of Twilight. He hopes that we are doing well and having a good time. And thanks for the podcast. He's enjoying it. And it gives him an incentive to read his old EU books. And we're, we're very happy for that. Yeah. Thank you. He does finish with one small criticism. He notices that my microphone hasn't been working as well uh, recently. And my apologies for that. We got, my, we got me a new headset, hoping it would work better than my old one. We tried it for a couple of episodes. Didn't work so well. So back on the original one now. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe someday we'll, uh, I don't know, actually upgrade the equipment in a meaningful way. Yeah. But for now, I think the older, I mean, let us know if the, if this does not sound clearer. The other, the other thing that we always kind of wrestle with, with Tom's end is that he talks really fast and he has a tendency to mumble. And so I think microphones just generally speaking, have a harder time picking him up if they're not particularly sophisticated. I mean, don't get me wrong. I make lots of my own vocal foibles. So yeah, that's why it hasn't been as good lately. So just how it goes sometimes. Sorry about that. But yeah, now it should all be how it was. Yeah. We so. switched back after doing Crystal Star. Crystal Star. So. So Blackfeet Crisis and going forward should be back to normal. Totally fine. Hopefully. <laughs> so thank you to Jan for that email about Planet of Twilight. Next up, we'll be starting the Black Fleet Crisis with Before the Storm, written by Michael P. Kubi McDowell. You can look forward to that being published on May the 7th. Thanks to Thomas for editing. And thanks to Christopher for this crazy idea. And thanks to you for listening. You can email us at tk331podcast at gmail.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at tk331podcast. If you like this podcast, please tell a family member or a friend and rate and review on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast reviewing platform of your choice. And if you work or go anywhere that has a big whiteboard on it, in it, near it, I feel like you know what to do. (laughs) Just free advertising, please. (laughs) And now here it is, your moment of Star Wars. Sienne was dashing up the street. Both of her lekus swung down the back of Luke's too-long cloak. She had almost reached the street corner beyond that debris heap. Luke followed her, carrying his weird weapon, but the glimmering shaft had vanished. As Sien dashed out of sight, Luke slowed. He glanced over his shoulder, caught Ula's stare, and hesitated. Sien wouldn't survive two minutes alone in these streets. Go, Ula shrieked. Luke raised both eyebrows in a pained expression, as if she had finally jabbed him. He spun away, and then he too was gone.